The scripture passage for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. Hear now the word of God. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after growing old? Can one enter a second time into the the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may, ha- may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Rather than folding your hands in prayer, I would like to invite you to place your palms upward in a receiving position. Let us pray. Pour out your spirit, O God, on us, on the word just read and the words to come that they might point to the word made flesh, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen. If you were alive in the 60s and the 70s, long before ESPN and hundreds of TV channels, you would be familiar with these iconic words coming from Jim McKay. Vinko Bogotaj, week after week, the video of his epic crash became the symbol of the agony of defeat. Fortunately, he wasn't seriously hurt as he lost control and somersaulted off of that ski jump. This young man from Yugoslavia could not have imagined that he would have gained such notoriety in the United States from just one moment in his life. 
Even if it isn't our intention, our actions can define us in the eyes of others, especially if there's a camera recording or a scribe writing, which is the case for poor old Nicodemus. His story is only captured in the Gospel of John, and right out of the gate, our suspicions are heightened because this elite Jewish leader comes to Jesus at night. It sounds like Nicodemus is sneaking out like a teenager at a time when he would be less likely to get caught if only our teenagers were sneaking out to see Jesus. We have this action of Nicodemus that begins to define him, a visit to Jesus after dark. Is he drawn to Jesus because of the things he's heard and seen? Is he simply curious about this itinerant rabbi? Perhaps Nicodemus visits at night because the crowds are so large during the day. Or more likely, he's afraid that the other Jewish leaders will ban him from the synagogue if they discover that he's been hanging out with the enemy. From all of the commentaries I read on this passage, I will say that Nicodemus mostly gets a bad rap. This respected religious leader marches up to Jesus full of confidence and filled with certainty about the things of God. We religious types can be like that sometimes. Jesus shares a few tidbits about being born again or born from above and how the spirit moves where the spirit moves. And Nicodemus is reduced to a bumbling mess. His last words echo Vinko's agony of defeat. How can these things be? But you know what? I kind of like Nicodemus. I have always had a soft spot for underdogs, and he is definitely an underdog in a match with Jesus. While Nicodemus clearly makes some blunders, he's not a lost cause. In fact, I can imagine doing and saying some of the same things as Nicodemus. And because of that, I was able to hear an important truth from Jesus for my life. Important, but not easy. Lori Demas, like Nicodemus, has a hard time letting go. Letting go of certainty. Letting go of needing to know and understand and letting go of the thought that I am in control of my little life. In the first part of our scripture passage, Nicodemus gets confused because he takes literally the idea of of being born again. Throughout John's gospel, we will encounter wordplay and misunderstanding. In this case, the Greek word anothen means both from above and again. The double meaning makes translation difficult because we don't have an English word that means both from above and again. To be born anothen speaks both of a time of birth, again, and the place from which the new birth comes, from above. I'm not sure if this question is asked much anymore, but there once was a time when people would ask, are you born again? Or when were you saved? These questions originate from John 3. But here's an example of where we need to let go of our certainty and the illusion of control over our lives. Because Jesus makes it clear that any rebirth or saving that is going on 
is done on behalf of the Spirit, not on us. This is easy to see in our lived experience. Babies don't decide their birth. They just get born. Nor can babies decide that, all things being equal, they'd prefer to stay in the womb for a while. Thank you very much. Nicodemus was right to suggest that this born-again thing sounds tricky, if not downright impossible, from the purely human side of things. It pains me just a little to think that I can't control my rebirth with my decision. However, I can imagine participating with the Spirit. If the wind blows where it'll blow, it makes sense that the best way to feel the wind on your face is to get outside. If the Spirit blows where the Spirit blows, where might we go to be in the best position to receive the Spirit? Intuitively, I know that the posture is less of a clenched fist and more of an open hand. But it's hard. It is hard for me to let go, to let go of the expectations of others or the way things have always been. By way of this late-night conversation with Jesus, Nicodemus seemed to lack the courage to step outside of his group and the expectations placed on him, which reminds me of the gymnast Simone Biles. During the 2016 Rio Olympics, Simone became the first female U.S. athlete to win four gold medals at a single games. Her success continued, and Simone was arguably the most important member of the 2020 U.S. Olympic women's gymnastics team. Winning is all that matters at this level. But then the unthinkable happened. As you may remember, in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, Simone withdrew herself from the finals in all but one of her individual events. In an unprecedented move to prioritize and care for her mental and physical health, Simone had the courage to let go of the expected thing, which left her hands open for something even more valuable. In the next section of our scripture passage, Jesus compares being lifted up on the cross with the story of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. Again, Jesus invites us to let go of the way things have always been or the way we've always thought about something. Jesus reaches back to the 21st chapter of Numbers in the Old Testament, and he evokes the image of the bronze serpent Moses lifted up over the people as the cure for snake bites. In that passage, God was worn out by the grumbling, thankless Israelites, so God sends an Exodus-like plague of venomous snakes to chastise them. Well, it works, and when the people repent, the Lord commands Moses to make a bronze snake and lift it up on a pole so that whenever someone is bitten by the snake, he or she can then look at this snake and be healed. The Israelites had to look at the image of the very thing that was afflicting them, and somehow this helped. Well, Jesus goes on to say that the Son of Man will be lifted up. And if we look at his death, our problem with death will be solved. When you think about it, 
It sounds kind of like a vaccine. You take in a little bit to protect you from the full-blown affliction. Remember polio? It is a highly infectious disease, mostly affecting young children. It attacks the nervous system and can lead to spinal and respiratory paralysis, and in some cases, death. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, frequent epidemics saw polio become the most feared disease in the world. Many who survived the disease faced lifelong consequences. Deformed limbs meant they needed leg braces, crutches, or wheelchairs, and some needed to use breathing devices like the iron lung. By the mid-20th century, the polio virus could be found all over the world, and it killed or paralyzed over a half a million people every year. With no cure and epidemics on the rise, there was an urgent need for a vaccine. As you probably know, the first successful vaccine was created by U.S. physician Jonas Salk. By 1957, annual cases in the United States dropped from 58,000 to 5,600. And by 1961, there were only 161 cases. Dr. Salk was committed to equitable access to his vaccine. And he understood that elimination efforts would not work without universal low or no-cost vaccination. Six pharmaceutical companies were licensed to produce IPV, and Salk did not profit from sharing the formulation or production processes. He let go of the expected thing, we work for financial gain, which left his hands open for something more valuable. He worked on, for the eradication of a deadly disease for the common good. In 1955, in an interview, they asked, who owned the patent for IPV? Salk replied, well, the people, I would say. There is no patent. Could you patent the sun? So in the gospel, Jesus is raised up on a cross in death. Salvation comes by paradoxically looking at the emblem of the very thing that terrifies many of us the most in this world, death. Somehow when we cast our eyes on Jesus' death, we receive the gospel vaccine, as it were. We might have to let go of our thoughts about the cross. You know that it's about punishment or payment. In this passage, the cross is all about healing and only healing. At last, we get to the most popular verse in the Bible, and our buddy Nicodemus is the first human to ever hear it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 is held up on signs at baseball games, printed on bumper stickers, and written on body parts. Here, we find the ultimate test of letting go. We don't do a darn thing for our salvation except to muster a little belief, which leads me to what should be the second most popular verse in the Bible. I believe, help my unbelief. The cross is the great equalizer. 
For God so loved the world, not the disciples, not the Presbyterians, not the pastors, not the Pope, the world. Even Nicodemus had to dump the notion that his highfalutin religious credentials earned him any credit with God. Nicodemus had to let go of all that and lean into the mystery of the spirit of not knowing and of not controlling. In letting go, his hands are open for something more valuable. Have you heard of Frances Connolly? She and her husband, Patrick, live in Hartlepool, England. In 2019, she won the lottery, 115 million pounds, which is about $144 million. Stories abound on how the lives of lottery winners are ruined by their newfound, unearned wealth. Well, the exact opposite has happened with Francis and Patrick. They did buy themselves a house on a few acres, but instead of holding on to this huge pile of money and indulging themselves with luxuries, they set up two trusts and they have already given over half of it away. All of that money that had the potential to harm and destroy their relationships and their very lives has instead brought them a deeper sense of purpose and an even greater joy. Because instead of holding on with clenched fists, they open their hands and let go, receiving something so much more valuable. When we think of Nicodemus, Simone Biles, Jonas Salk, and Francis Connolly, we are reminded that, of course, our actions matter. They shape the contours of our lives and can influence people who are watching. But our actions can't save us. You know, we only hear about Nicodemus two more times in the Gospel of John. In John 7, as the Sanhedrin begin plotting against Jesus, Nicodemus speaks up a bit to defend him. And then in chapter 19, Nicodemus showed up in broad daylight, carrying an overabundance of myrrh and aloe to anoint and bury the body of Jesus, the one who had just been executed by the Romans. Nicodemus started in the dark with a head full of certainty, but it seems like the winds of the Spirit moved in his heart. God never gave up on him. And will never give up on us. For God so loved Nicodemus, you, me, and the whole world, that if we can just bring our tiny faith and our open hands, we too can receive that which is most valuable.